from D. James Kennedy Ministries. This is Kennedy Classics. Kennedy Classics. Oh, I'm Frank Wright, president of D. James Kennedy Ministries, where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. Welcome to Kennedy Classics. I'd like to invite you to follow us on Facebook, where we post all sorts of great content, including commentaries, interviews, and features. Just go to facebook.com slash Kennedy and click like. For most sports fans, it's not uncommon to truly believe that one's team is the best, in spite of one-loss records and demonstrable evidence to the contrary. For diehard fans, each new season brings a new birth of hope that this may be the year. For some fans, their passionate faith is regularly rewarded with disappointment. The Chicago Cubs may be the poster child of such disappointment. In 2016, the Chicago Cubs captured the World Series crown, but only after a championship drought that lasted 108 years. Multiple generations of Cubs fans went through their entire lives without seeing their team bring the trophy home. For fans of other teams, expressing confidence in their team's prospects requires suspending reality and ignoring the evidence. But not everything we believe requires that. There are plenty of things that we can know for certain. For instance, we can know for certain that the sun will rise in the east and set in the west. We can know for certain that if you jump in the air towards the sky, gravity will pull us back down. And we can also know for certain that the Bible is, in fact, God's Word. How can we know that? Here is Dr. D. James Kennedy to explain in his message, Is the Bible True? Our scripture lesson this morning is found in the first epistle of Peter, chapter 3, and we will begin our reading in verse 15. May we hear the inspired word of the living God. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that, whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better... If the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And may God speak to us this day through his holy word, and may his name ever be praised. Amen. Some years ago, I received a phone call on a Monday evening. I was at home that night, 
and one of our elders called. And he said, hurry quickly, turn on your radio. I said, why? And he said, because there's an atheist on the radio that's chewing up Christians and spitting them out. Well, we can't have that. We've got too few Christians already. So I found out what station it was, and, and there was this doctor somebody or other was taking calls, and Christians were calling in, and they were challenging him on various things, and he was indeed chewing them up and spitting them out. Not one Christian could answer any question that he asked them. And he had the same technique for everything. They would call up. The man had indicated he didn't believe anything. And uh, they would say, well, surely you believe in the Bible. He said, the Bible? Why would I believe in the Bible? Do you believe in the Bible? And the caller would say, oh, yes. And then here was the piece de resistance. Why do you believe in the Bible? Not one Christian could answer that question. I remember one man said, well, because I, I, I've got it down in my heart. He said, well, I don't have it down in my heart, and I don't believe it either. Bam, and he hung up. He did that over and over again. While I, in the meanwhile, had the phone to my ear, and I was pacing around the bedroom, dialing this number over and over and over again, and I always got a busy signal. I must have done that for 30 minutes or more. Finally, their phone rang. A lady answered the phone, and she said, I'm sorry, but our time is up for this evening. Please call back next week and be, participate in our program. I was so distraught. I don't know that I slept any that night. But I did decide that Christians needed to find out why they believed what they believe. So let's take a look at that. Why do we believe in the Bible? The Scripture says, Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We should all be ready to give an answer as to why we believe anything that we claim that we believe. The Bible is not based upon blind faith. Unbelief is based upon blind unbelief, but Christianity is not. So let's take a look at why we believe some of the things that we believe. All around us, we have unbelievers today challenging us in what we believe. We hear challenges on television and radio and books and magazines and motion pictures and all kinds of places as to why we would believe any of this stuff that we say that we believe. We should be ready with a reason for it. Our morality and ethics are based upon our theology. What we believe determines how we will live, and that depends on what we believe on about what the Bible says. 
Well, there are many reasons that uh, a Christian should believe the Bible. And here is the first one that I would mention to you. God said, I will raise them up a prophet and will put my words in his mouth. So God says that his word is something that comes from a prophet that he has raised up and that we should believe it because it is done by God. And he furthermore says, but if the prophet has spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. But God is God and there is none other. There is none like him. And it's one of the principal reasons for believing the Bible is specific predictive prophecy. Now, the Bible says we should carefully examine prophecies, and yet most Christians don't at all. They don't even know what many of them are, and they haven't really examined them to see if they are true. And yet the Scripture says, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Another reason that we should believe them is because they are unique. There are no specific fulfilled predictive prophecies in any of the writings of Buddha or of Mohammed in the Quran or of Confucius and his Analects or Lao Tse or any other of the great founders of religions. One thing which is strikingly missing from all of them is the matter of specific fulfilled predictive prophecy. The Old Testament contains 2,000 2000 specific prophecies which have already been fulfilled. For example, they deal with scores of cities with which Israel had dealings with dozens of nations contiguous with Israel. The entire futurity of those nations and cities is described in the Old Testament, and verification can be examined with anyone with a decent encyclopedia. For example, consider the prophecies concerning Tyre and also its twin city, Sidon, or Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were two great cities on the eastern end of the Mediterranean. Tyre was to the sea what Babylon was to the land, and the great city of Carthage was simply one of the daughters of Tyre. And yet, at its height, we read that the prophet of the Old Testament declared that the city of Tyre would be destroyed, never to be rebuilt, and never again to be inhabited. We are told that the city of Sidon, that the inhabitants would be decimated, but the city would continue. Now, these are very different predictions. The fact that the city of Sidon was attacked because it was betrayed by its own king and 40,000 of its inhabitants were killed, but the city of Sidon continues until this time. Ezekiel declared when Tyre was at its height, they shall, quote, destroy the walls of Tyrus and break down her towers. I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. It shall be a place for the spreading of nets in the midst of the sea, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. Then a mighty conqueror by the name of Alexander the Great, poised at the isthmus ready to attack the Persian Empire. He crossed the waters and gave the king of Persia his first crushing defeat. The mighty Persian army turned and fled to the south and then inland to the east with Alexander in hot pursuit. But 
Before turning inland, the Persian army, with a brilliant general as a great strategist, decided to negate and nullify the mighty Persian navy. He sealed off all of the ports on the eastern end of the Mediterranean, and one after another, the cities capitulated and surrendered. Finally, Alexander came to New Tyre, for Old Tyre had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar decades before that, and they had built a new city on an island about 15 or 20 miles out into the sea with impregnable walls. And he commanded his general, when the tyrants laughed at him, his chief engineer, Diades, and he conceived the plan, perhaps one of the boldest in warfare. They determined to build a causeway across the half mile of deep Mediterranean Sea to the island of New Tyre. Where would they find the material? Well, the word was issued by the great king. Tear down the walls of Tyre. Take the timbers and the stones, the rubble and the logs, and cast them into the sea. So the great army of Alexander obediently began to fill the word of God. Oh, about uh, 23 or 400 years later, I picked up a book in the Atlanta airport. It was a small book. It was about Alexander the Great, written by Charles Mercer with consultant Cornelius Vermeule III, curator of classical art at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. The book contains a most amazing description. Quote, mainland tire was leveled. Its rubble was carried to the construction site. Meanwhile, logs were dragged from the forests of Lebanon. Quarries were opened in the hills to supply stones for Diades' fabulous highway. Alexander the Great himself carried stones on his back. Rubble, logs, stone, dust, all cast into the water of the Mediterranean, building a causeway that was half mile long uh, into the sea. Finally, it was completed. The army progressed on it, came to the city, attacked the walls, broke it down, and it, the prophecy at last was fulfilled. God had said he would destroy the wall of Tyre and make her like the top of a rock. It would be a place for the spreading of nets. About a decade or so ago, a young lady who was a member of our church took a tour to the Near East. She went to, to Israel, to Jerusalem, Samaria, and she came at last to Tyre. Now, God had said it would become a place for the spreading of nets, and this church member had taken a lot of pictures. Neither she nor I was aware of the specific nature of the prophecies concerning Tyre, but she showed me the pictures. And what did they show? There are pictures of nets on big frames of timber, huge frames, and the nets were spread out on them, drying. And God had said that he would spread out the flat rock on the flat rock, the nets of what was formerly the proud city of Tyre. Now, because I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I wonder how anyone would be able to know that that would be what would happen. Or consider the city of Samaria and Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah, and Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Samaria, of Israel. The prophets there said that the walls of Samaria would be cast down, that it would be made into a vineyard, that the foundations thereof would be uncovered. The walls of Jerusalem, they would be destroyed, but they would be built again. I have walked along the top of the great wall of Jerusalem. So have some of you. It is very much still there. I have been, been to Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom. And I, rem- I remember three things. I wasn't even familiar with these prophecies at the time I went there. That was many years ago. But the three things I remembered was looking over the wall down into the valley on the outside of the walls and seeing huge stones that had once been the wall of Samaria. They had been cast down. They were now down at the bottom of a great crevasse. I remember our guide pointing out vineyards and olive trees and various other trees. And Ezekiel had said that they, it would be made into a vineyard and furthermore that the foundations would be uncovered. The last thing I noticed was that the lower part of the wall that went down, they dug down under the earth so it exposed about 40 feet of the wall that was hitherto completely uh, hidden and showed the foundations of the great fortress that had once been Samaria. What had God said? I will make Samaria as a heap of the field, as a planting of a vineyard. I will pour down the stones thereof into the valley, and I will discover the foundations thereof. Exactly what I, not being familiar at that time with these prophecies, saw with my own eyes when I looked down from the high walls of Samaria. So, again, this is the work of God, and hereby we can know these are just some of the 2,000 prophecies that have been fulfilled. Now, somebody might say, well, this is just prejudice, and these things really didn't happen that way. I have another book written by Alexander Keith, a great scholar, containing a collection of statements by skeptics concerning these prophecies. One of them was Constantine Volney. Volney was an American skeptic. He was an American skeptic that wrote a number of books, and a certain gentleman read those books and became a skeptic in turn. His name was Abraham Lincoln. Happily, he recovered from his skepticism before he became president. Of these towns in Edom, at present, all the country is a desert. The city of, cities of Edom are ruined and laid waste. But Stephen, a Christian standing among the ruins of Petra, one of the great cities of Edom, by the way, if you've never been to Petra, it's worth visiting. It, you get into it through a narrow opening. Probably the walls on either side rise straight up about 50, 75 feet, and you get into a great circle, and there are buildings 
carved into the rock of that circle. And Stephen stood there and watched them as I did and said, Would that the skeptic could stand as I did among the ruins of this city, among the rocks, and there open the sacred book and read the words of the inspired penman written when this place was one of the greatest cities in the world. I could see the scoff arrested, his cheek pale, his lips quivering and his heart quaking with fear as the ruined city cries out to him in a voice loud and powerful that the one risen from the dead had done this. Though he would not believe Moses and the prophets, he believed the handwriting of God himself and the desolation and eternal ruin which was all around him. No, we can know that the Bible is indeed a book inspired by God. The evidence for it is overwhelming and is on all sides. One last thing about these predictions. Predictions are promises. Most people don't realize that. God has given us over 2,000 predictions which are promises, in order that we may learn to believe his promises. God promised that the walls of Jerusalem would rebuilt, be rebuilt, that the walls of Babylon would never be rebuilt, and that Tyre would be destroyed, and Sidon would continue. And as we read these fulfillments, we think about the other promises that Christ said, that he that trusts in me shall never perish, but have everlasting life. And therefore, we can know that we can take Christ at his word, we can believe his promises, that those that trust in him will never perish, but would live eternally. And we can do that with confidence, knowing that these are the very words of God, and they have been fulfilled, and they will yet be fulfilled among all of those that trust in him. His word is settled forever in heaven. May we pray. And now we thank thee, O Father, thou who art able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. To the only wise God, our Father, be glory and majesty, dominion and praise, both now and forevermore. Amen. How about you, my friend? Have you placed your trust in Jesus Christ? Do you know for certain that you will be with God in heaven someday? You can have that assurance. You see, Jesus Christ offers us life to the full now and for eternity as a free gift. It has to be free because there's no way you or I could ever earn it or deserve it. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners, and only Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, who had never sinned, could pay the penalty we owe. He purchased heaven for us with his death and resurrection. Would you like to receive this free gift? If so, pray this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I am so sorry for my sins and ask you to forgive me. I place my trust in you from this day forward. Thank you for the free gift of eternal life. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, let me be the first to welcome you to the family of God. 
and to help you begin to grow in your new faith, we have a special gift for you. It's beginning again, which is precisely what you're doing. In these pages, you'll learn how to read and study the Bible and find answers to some of the questions you may have. To receive your copy, simply write to our address or call our toll-free number and be sure and ask for Beginning Again. And may God bless you. Knowing that the Bible is true means knowing that all of God's promises are true as well. Whoever trusts in the Lord will not perish, but have everlasting life. But if the Bible is true, we must necessarily expose the many popular ideas that contradict it as being falsehoods. And we must acknowledge that some of these false ideas, even those long discredited, exert a powerful influence in our culture today. Knowing what those ideas are and how God's Word disproves them is vital in our day. That's why we want to send you an important book about this called Seven Men Who Rule the World from the Grave by Dave Brees. These ideas of these seven men, including Karl Marx, Charles Darwin, Sigmund Freud, and John Dewey, still exert a powerful, pervasive, and often malignant influence on our daily lives. This remarkable book reveals the cultural outworkings of these ideas and points us to the biblical truths that refute them. We will send you seven men who rule the world from the grave as our thanks for your generous donation to the ongoing work of this ministry. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free 888-332-3069. Or go online to djkm.org. One of those seven men, Karl Marx, propounded economic theories that are still in vogue today to the detriment of millions. Yet former presidential candidate Bernie Sanders holds to Marx's ideas, as do more than 40% of American millennials, according to one recent poll. It is crucial that you know the flaws with Marx's system and why it should be abandoned in America. We expose the truth in a hard-hitting DVD program entitled Three Big Lies of Socialism. And we will send it to you, as well as the book, Seven Men Who Rule the World from the Grave, as our thanks for your generous donation of $50 or more to the ongoing work of this ministry. And as you give, you will be helping us to broadcast programs like this, holding the lies of the culture up to the truths of Scripture, as well as to move forward in our other ministry initiatives, such as our lawsuit against the Southern Poverty Law Center because of their false hate map, our D. James Kennedy Center for Christian Leadership in Washington, D.C., and more. So please, give generously. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339, or call toll-free 888 888- 332-3069 or go online to djkm.org 
I'm Frank Wright. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Kennedy Classics. We'll see you next time. Today's program is available on DVD or audio CD for your gift to this ministry of any amount. Please call, write, or log on to our website today. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries. 